On today's podcast, we have Nate and Heather Ogden. Nate has taught thousands of people how to conquer their fears and move from paralysis to progress through eliminating excuses in their lives. He's a wheelchair athlete. He's a co-creator of a nonprofit called Chair the Hope. He's the author of a book, Unfrozen, and co-authored Resilience and Leadership in Trying Times. He's actually something interesting. He's broke his neck twice. And what I love about Nate and Heather is just their ability to overcome adversity and do it with a smile and do it while serving others. And I'm so excited to jump into this episode. So let's get into it. Okay, awesome. So Nate and Heather, welcome. So excited to meet you over Thank Zoom. You. <laughs> I've, I've heard so many good things about you. I've heard Nate speak, which was incredible. And so I'm just excited to spend the time. So real quick, before we jump in, where are both of you guys from? Um, I'm originally from Bend, Oregon, and we currently cool. now live in Meridian, Idaho, but Nate was born and raised here in Boise. Okay. Awesome. I've always wanted to go to Bend. I, I really want to go there in the next year or two. It has some great recreational areas. It is a beautiful, beautiful area. Yeah. My brother, he just moved to Oregon and uh, my wife's family's from Oregon. So okay. we've gone up there once and just driven down the coast, but it's so, it's so pretty there. Yeah. It's a great area. It has a big diversity from the mountains to the you know ocean, high desert. It's a just a fun area to be from. So. Well, let, let's jump into it. Nate, you have such an incredible story, and uh, I've, I don't think I've ever heard it before, but I've just heard, you know, summaries of it, and so I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I can start with it, and hopefully Heather will cut in, because I'm sure she's tired of hearing my story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll just correct it if you go you off, and it. I'll give the right side of the story. No, okay, we'll trust that. <laughs> um, well... We, uh, we've been married for 25 years now, just, uh, just a couple months ago. Um, but we had a, we had a great beginning, but it kind of took a twist for us four and a half years into our marriage. But we, uh, we met at Rick's college, um, which okay. is now BYU, Idaho. And, uh, yeah. I noticed her from across the room and decided she was the one. And then I had to figure out how to woo her over to like me. Um, but after I pulled her away from some boyfriends, we, we dated seriously for one month, were engaged for one month and got married. And, uh, yeah, 25 years later, she's still putting up with me and we're moving strong, but we, uh, so we got into life pretty quick and, um, what was it? So four and a half years into our marriage. I had graduated college. Um, we had two little kids, a two-year-old little girl named Senia and a yeah. little boy named Kyler, who was almost one years old. And we bought our first home. We had a dog. I mean, everything was kind of going the way you think it should be. I was 26 years old and our life was really good. Um, and so we went to Bend, Oregon, where Heather's from, for a Christmas break and just to go have some fun. And three days before Christmas, I went up skiing at Mount Bachelor, a really great ski hill over there. You have to hit yeah. there if you go to Oregon. That's a good mountain. Okay. Yeah, yeah really okay. fun area to ski with Heather's, one of her little brothers. And we went up skiing, and right before lunch, we came around this 
this run and we hadn't bet on it yet and it had two big jumps. And after the second jump, there were a bunch of people watching as others came off. And I decided that I wanted to do these jumps. And so I kind of waited my turn and I took off and I hit the first jump and I didn't hit it hard enough. So I didn't really clear it that well. And as I was coming up on the second jump, it was snowing lightly. I was looking at the jump and I also was looking at the 25 people that were watching as people came off the jump. And I decided instead of being cautious, because I'd never hit it before, to be a little more uh, cocky. Cocky. <laughs> and I tucked Confident. in tight. I tucked in tight and I went straight into this jump. And the second I hit it, I knew something was wrong. I ended up, instead of shooting out and up, I went almost straight up into the air, 30 wow. feet the air and that wasn't from me saying that that's from everyone else watching so 30 feet into the air and I rotated backwards I came down I landed on my my neck and my body collapsed down on top of me and I shattered my c7 vertebrae the biggest bone when you reach to the bottom and back of your neck and it was instantly paralyzed um, but I didn't know it I just fell again like I just crashed you know, I've, I've crashed many times skiing and playing sports and hiking in the mountains. And I'm always able to get back up. But this time I wasn't able to get back up. And uh, that was frustrating for me. It was very frustrating. But I still thought, give it a day or two. I'll be back at it. No problem. And uh, this is before cell phone. So Heather's out shopping. She doesn't know this happened. They don't know how to get a hold of her. But they finally found her. She met me at the hospital. And, uh, yeah, from that moment, our lives changed. What was that like for you when you found out? Well, I think, like, I, I felt this prompting as we were going, like, there's something majorly wrong with Nate. Like, I knew that it wasn't just going to be something small. And um, when I saw him, he could barely move anything. And I was like, it's all right. We're going to be okay. You know, just kind of that soldier at forward, make it work um, kind of mentality. Um, but later that night as the neurosurgeon came into the like dimly lit room, he just said, you, you have a new future. Your husband is now a quadriplegic and he will never walk mm. again. And I, mm. I think that's like one of those moments in life that really takes that wind out of your sail and makes you go, wow, what's really important, you know, with having two little kids and, and truly not knowing if Nate's going to survive really throughout the night, just because yeah. of breathing issues too. It, it just, it, it's a, a moment of pivoting. I mean, it's like everything changes. Everything that you thought was perfect in our lives all of a sudden really didn't matter. And it helped us to really hyper-focus on the things that mattered, which was just each other. And a lot of people. Sure. Nate, what were you Oh, sorry. Go, oh, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say a lot of people look at me because I'm the one in the wheelchair. You know, I'm the one sitting in the hospital, sort of, you know, trying to live through the night. Um, but they don't look at the other people as much. They don't look at the caregiver, the spouse, the children. Um, I mean, Heather's sitting there wondering if her husband will live. She's got two very little kids. Doesn't know how she's going to provide for her family, how she'll pay these bills how she'll take care of a husband who may never get out of bed again. Um, it's heavy. It's very heavy. And so 
definitely. What were you doing for work at the time? I, uh, I was working at that time. I was working for DHL, the shipping company. Um, yeah. Back then they were a little bit bigger pushing into the American market. And so I was the, uh, I was the acting manager over all the operations for Idaho. And so my career was really starting to take off with them. And, uh, I just started off as a driver while I was going to college and delivering packages and kind of worked my way up. And so we had a lot of, a lot of good things in the future for us. Um, and they were a good company. So when that happened, they, they didn't get rid of me. You know, they, they held on and they stuck with me. And so for the next year, they, they really stood by our side and helped support us, um, financially and yeah, all the employees of DHL actually pulled together their vacation pay and actually helped us have a salary wow. for a year. It was pretty incredible. That is so cool. So you were off work for one year? Mm-hmm. Uh, close Almost. to a year. So yeah. after about six months, after a lot of hard work and a lot of therapy, um, I was able to start working like an hour, maybe two hours at a time. Um, I deal with a lot of pain and at that point I still had some breathing issues. Um, but I was able with help to get to work and back. And then after about a year to 13 months, I was, I was driving myself to work, um, working an eight hour day. It was still a little bit of a struggle, um, to do an eight hour day, but I could do it. And, uh, so our lives are starting to become a, a new normal. Um, but we knew that I would walk again. So at that point, after a year, I could move most of my upper body and uh, my legs were starting to move just a little bit. And so we knew that I would walk. I mean, not run, but I'll walk again. I mean, like our license plate says we believe. Like we were all in. That's just us. We're like 100% all in. Any like hospital room he was in, we had big poster board. We believe. Like there was no other option. And when doctors would come in and say, he's not going to walk in, he's not, this isn't going to happen. We'd just be like, you're done. We don't want to talk to you because we have other plans and goals and we don't want to listen to this right now. And you know, our reality sure. may be that soon, but we didn't want somebody else to dictate what was going to happen. Yeah. Is, is one year extremely fast for somebody to go back to work after something like that? I, I think so. So I think I there's think, a lot of quadriplegics that never, never go back to work. That never go back, right? When you're telling this story is like no big deal. But I was like, wait, one year after you're going back to work? That's nuts. Well, and it's funny too, because like, honestly, one of the first things he said after he broke his neck is he was like, do not put me in a minivan. I do not want a minivan. And I was like, <laughs> all right, buddy, let's figure out how. And so we figured out how to get a f-150 truck equipped so he could drive a truck so but that's that's kind of in life though like life's gonna punch you in the gut and it's gonna knock you down and that doesn't mean you give up on your dreams and your goals it just means you find a different way to get there and that was for me i someday will i end up in a minivan maybe but it won't be for a long time and to me it was I still, I love the mountains. I love driving on a dirt road and I love going up and seeing what's over the horizon. And to me, if I can't walk up that trail, then I'm going to drive up the road as close to it as I can. 
even if he has a brand new truck and gets scratches all the way around it, he doesn't care. <laughs> well, it sounds like you were really active because did you say that you were playing collegiate soccer as well before that? I did. Uh, before we got married, I did. Okay. And, uh, so yeah, I, I love sports. I love the outdoors. I just, I love doing stuff. I love adventure. Um, and I think that's something my dad taught us is he would come downstairs and see us watching TV and he would just say, why would you guys ever watch people have an adventure? Go live an adventure yourself. Yeah, that, that is pretty cool. And uh, that's, that's what he's, really, really he's cool. taught us that and he's lived it. So, uh, so a year later, after breaking my neck, and yes, we kind of went past that pretty quick. There was some very touch and go moments in that, that point where I just about died a few different times. Um, it was hard on our family. It was hard on Heather. It was tough on the kids. Like I remember the kids, Heather would, when she finally could bring them to the hospital to see me, like my son didn't want to get near me because I'm sitting there with this big halo screwed into my skull and all these tubes and wires on me. And he wouldn't come yeah. and sit on my lap because oh, that's heartbreaking. I is. So there was, there was an adjustment for everybody throughout that year. But I think after a year, we were really starting to figure it out better. And, uh, so what I would imagine for anybody to go through that, there's probably a lot of fear right after. And like you said, you talk about the excuses that we tell ourselves. So how long did you feel those emotions and how did you overcome things like that? Cause it's, it's a huge mental and emotional challenge. I'd say not just physical, right? It's a, uh, yeah, it's a tremendous mental battle because I, I feared right off the bat that, um, I would never walk that I would never even get in a wheelchair. Like, I didn't know what the future held for me. I did not want to be some vegetable, if that's the right term to say, and just just be be there the rest of my life. I want to be present. I want to be a part of it. And uh, I had great fears for that. I had great fears for Heather. I'm like, this is not what she signed up for. Um, I just I just ruined her life and my kid's life. Because I I went off some jump I sh probably shouldn't have the way I did, and now Heather's not going to have a husband who can do all the things that other husbands do, and the kids won't have a dad that can go play with them at the park and uh, teach them to fish and to do all those things that my dad did for me, and uh, so that's a huge fear for me. And then in in all reality, I have every excuse in the world to not do anything. Like, who's yeah. going to judge me if I don't go do something? Nobody's going to say, oh, Nate should be doing that. They're going to think, it's okay. Nate's, Nate's paralyzed. You know, he's, he's got that, I call it your, your cue card, your excuse card. Like, mm. that's my excuse. I'm paralyzed. I'm a quadriplegic. Like, why should I ever get up and go to the party? Why should I do anything but stay home and watch Netflix and complain about what my life is like, which many do. And uh, I have to say, though, the, the biggest strength, two things that helped. That's my two. Can't move my fingers. 
two biggest strengths that helped get me through that first year was, um, to me, it was my faith in God, a faith, a belief that there is this, there's something higher than me. There's something bigger than me. And that whatever that is, there's a purpose for what just happened to me. There's something I need to do. Um, and two, and just as importantly, was my wife and my kids. Because if I didn't have them, I think it would have been a whole different ballgame. Um, they were a motivation to me. It was a motivation that I want to I want to live. I want to be there to see my kids grow up. I want to be there for Heather, and I want us to make memories together. I want us to travel the world. I don't want that to be some other guy. I want it to be me. And uh, those are some of my biggest driving factors. I think anybody has to figure out what is your purpose, what drives you in life whether that's in business, yeah. your personal life, what you got to figure out what that is. Cause that's gotta be what gets you up in the morning. It's your passion. Yeah. You gotta find your passion. And then uh, too. Well, and I would imagine that other people that have gone through different challenges, whether they be physical, mental, emotional, I'm sure a lot of people want the same things that you want or wanted. But I do think there's a difference between, because you actually did things to, to push through the reward was more powerful than the fear or the excuses. Right. And that's not, we can't put everything in the past. I still have fears. Like I still worry about many of the same things. Um, but it's a constant battle. I think anything is a constant battle. You just have to choose to keep fighting that battle and choose to make it. And the more you, the more you make the right choice, the little bit easier it gets. But I think the second, the second thing to me that helps will help anyone get through their, their trials is you have to surround yourself with the right people. Um, if there's negativity, if there's people that are bringing you down and that don't believe in you, believe that you can overcome whatever it is you're struggling with, it may be that you're going through a divorce or you just had a miscarriage or you just got fired from a job. Whatever that struggle is, you need to surround yourself with the right people who are going to support you and build you up. And to me, that's what I had to do. I had my amazing wife, supportive kids. I mean, we get my kids in the hospital. I, can't, I couldn't even lift my arm up to feed myself. So my kids would sit on my lap. And they would feed me fries and they would, they would keep me going. And, uh, yeah. you gotta, you gotta surround yourself, find your passion and then surround yourself with the right people to, to follow that passion. Totally. And that speaks a lot to like you're saying about Heather earlier, your supporting cast. Sometimes they, they might see you and say, you know, it's just that challenge, but it's really everybody working together to work as a team to help you overcome things. And, and so I guess that's a really good question and point that you bring up, Nate. How have you guys as a couple and as a family all got on the same page to do that? Because, you know, I look at a lot of people I know and they all have different challenges. Everybody has their own challenge in, in different ways, right? And so how do you get a whole family or a marriage to be on the same page and be positive and be working together towards a common goal? That's probably Heather to answer that one. She yeah. tell our family together. I think... I think what's cool is 
Nate Havlin brought up that just a year after he broke his neck, that he got pneumonia really bad and went unconscious, went into the hospital and um, fell off the x-ray table while he was unconscious and broke wow. his neck a second time. Wow. And so oh that was like, uh, what? Are you kidding me? Like, this is not one neck break, but two and at a higher level. So we lost everything we'd already worked for over the last year, which we thought we had really done well to get there. But then also added upon that the loss of any moment or movement in his legs, his hands, his triceps. So it was a lot more devastating, I guess. Um, so you talk about the mental battle. That second sure. break was my mental. The first one was still hard, but the second one, when all of a sudden I realized I'm not going to walk again. So all those things that I want to do from a standing position are not going to happen that way anymore. Like I have to change the way that I look at things and that's not easy to do. So that was really hard on me for a little while trying to grasp what does my future look like. But like in the first little bit right after he broke his neck the second time he was unconscious and he came to with enough oxygen and I told him that he broke his neck a second time and he just said all right bring it on and so I think that's what fueled me to know we were going to keep going on and it wasn't like that every day of course there was depression days and there was like a lot yeah. of pain but I think to kind of answer your question like how do you pull together during those times, it, it takes, for us, it definitely takes the higher power to help continue us through, to help us know that there's a purpose there. But for us, I think it was going out and serving other people helped us to keep going. So when he was even in the hospital and it was Valentine's day, the kids and I would go and buy tons of flowers. And then we would get Nate out of his room and we'd go room to room and giving out flowers and talking to the other patients and making their days better. Um, I mean, even to this day, we still go every Christmas time and we go and carol at all of the, the hospitals around here. Um, just because we've realized that if you can focus outwardly on others, it really diminishes what you're going through and makes it a lot less uh, stuck in the mud feeling. It just feels like yeah. there's so many other problems out there to not focus on it. Um, and then I think having fun together, like there's so many ways that we could just say, you know what, we now have a quadriplegic husband and father. It's we're done. We're, you know, this isn't fun anymore. And I think the joy that we have found in including Nate and in everything that we're doing from skydiving to river rafting to snow skiing, um, and now traveling all over the world, um, it has been diving with the sharks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's been just so many amazing opportunities that I don't know. I think being able to disrupt the idea that this is how our life is going to be has given us that passion to show others that number one, the family unit can exist. Cause I think there's a lot of people who say it can't. And whether the family is a husband, wife, and kids, or it's just your tribe around you, like your family unit can exist. And then number two, that you don't have to do exactly what society thinks you have to do. And going out and serving others while you're doing it has 
been something that's really kept us together throughout yeah. all the challenges. By far, the best way to improve your life is to go improve someone else's. Like, I believe that fully. Like, the quickest way to reach your dreams is to help someone else reach theirs. And along that process, you'll probably realize that your dreams weren't the right ones. And you adjust to, to meet different and new ones and greater ones. And you push yourself in a way. I love, uh, oh, who's one of the creators? Uh, from Keller Williams. What's, what's Williams' first name? Who uh, started Keller Williams? Can't think of I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, he, he talks about how the purpose of a goal, whether it's in business or not, it's not to reach that goal. Like that's not your purpose. Their purpose is to, to set a goal so high and so far out there that you figure out what your potential is trying to get to that goal. The whole purpose is figuring out what you actually can do in life. Whether you reach the goal, I totally believe that. And uh, it's it's not what we get by our achieving our goals; it's what we become by achieving our goals. Exactly. So you you set them. Nate, I want to ask you a question about that second time, because the first time, you know, it's an accident. You're out having fun, doing something that, that you love. I I can imagine, like you already said, that the second time was a lot harder because. You're doing everything you can to recover. You're, I think you said you're at the doctor when you fell off. We're at the ER. And so at the ER. And so the question that I have for you is I would imagine that if a lot of people were in that same situation, that there, that would be an extremely hard situation to overcome mentally and emotionally. For example, I could see a lot of people saying, well, it's, it's their fault and this happened and just spending the rest of their life being in anger towards that group uh, that was maybe facilitating that experience of the doctor that day or just resentment or just bad feelings of like, I'm doing everything I can. And now this happened, like I'm trying to overcome this. And then this is a huge setback. You didn't really have a choice. It sounds like on the second time, the second time just happened. Mm -hmm. It was fully outside of your control. And so, I think both situations are extremely hard. I'm not trying to take away from the first at all. I'm just trying to say, man, you've already gone through something so incredibly hard. And then the second time had nothing to do with anything that you were doing. Yep. So how did you, that, that one is so fascinating to me. How did you, how did you overcome that mentally? I, I have to say at the beginning, I never, I like Heather had said, it was a very quick, I, it's all right. You know, it, how it's, that's what I'm curious. Cause when Heather said that, I'm like, how did Nate oh, wow. just say that? I honestly don't know. I think to me it was, <clears throat> it's better that it happens to me twice than to someone else once, because I know what I'm doing. We'll rebound off this quickly. It's not going to take us long. We're all right. We already know what we're doing. But that was like the first few weeks. Yeah. I mean, a few months into it, Nate hit a big depression. Like, life is not fun. This is sure. Yeah, it was because I I thought I would rebound quickly and I I didn't. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, it's not easy living life without moving your fingers, like picking things up, trying to eat, trying to 
drive, trying to do everything. It's not easy. Just hugging your wife. It's a whole different ball game. And uh, yeah, I've, I've had to look back at it and I, I was good at it right then. And I'm glad I don't, I can't give you a great answer as to this is what I did at that point. I think I just did it. But now as I look back, this is what I have to do now that relates to that is whenever something is out of my control that really starts to frustrate me or um, it happens to me that starts anger or resentment or whatever it is, I have to stop. I have to look at it and I say, who is this bugging? Like if I can't do anything to change it, the only person that's making frustrated, the only person that's bringing down is me. If somebody says something that offends me, they probably don't care. They're off on their life, living life, being doing their own thing. I'm the one sitting there struggling with it. So when I broke my neck the second time, I, I feel I was very blessed to be able to get past it because we don't know if it was the x-ray tech that bumped me off the table or if I had a, if I had a leg spasm and that made me tip off, whatever it was, what good does it do me to be mad at that guy the rest of my life? Nothing. Well, whatever energy you're giving to that, you can't use in other ways of serving other people. You can't use that for good, you know, t towards your passion. You only have X amount of energy to expand each day. And I feel like whatever you're giving towards something negative, you're taking away from that sweet, positive passion that just is so much better in life. And I don't know. It just fuels you to be able to really feel the the sweetness of life. And so that's something that we really have, like, said, we don't have time for that. I mean, sometimes I almost feel like you pull up in a dump truck and you just load up all the garbage that you have in your life. And you're like, I'm taking this somewhere else and just getting rid of it. And I think that is definitely a way to section off your life to allow the goodness to stay people think they have to keep that baggage with them and i'm like make peace with it figure out what needs to stay and then take the other one to the landfill because there's no room for that negativity in a marriage um in a parent-child relationship in a employee-employer relationship like you got to figure it out talk it out and if it's something that's just not going to be resolved we just need to get rid of it because it's nothing that's going to be helping us in the future. Yeah, this this is on a very, very minor scale compared to what we're talking about, Heather. But something that's helped me is if I just have thoughts that keep coming back into my mind over and over, maybe it's frustrations with somebody or something. I just pull out my phone and I put it in a note and I just dump everything there, like the garbage truck analogy like you're talking about. And then in a day or two or maybe a week, I just delete it. And so putting it in my phone allows me to get it outside my head so it stops from coming yes. back. And then once I delete it, I'm like, I'm letting go. It's gone. And I'm not going to think about it anymore. And obviously that's for very light things. What we're talking about is in a whole different league. But it's interesting to hear you guys talk about it. And it's, it's fascinating to me. One of the things I loved what you guys said that I'll always remember this quote is it's not a disability. It's just a different ability. And I think that's such a beautiful line for so many people out there listening. Maybe they have something or someone they know. 
And I love that quote that you guys well, brought One up. of the things that I've definitely seen, I mean, Nate and I talk about this all the time, is that we meet people all the time that are way more paralyzed than Nate. Paralyzed by... And most of them can walk. Yeah, mental issues or their fears or sure. their excuses. And I think that everybody has different abilities and, and or a dis- disability. And I think... Yeah. It's for us to be able to go and realize, man, that person may be treating me the way they are because of their different ability. Where do they come from? What's their background? What happened to them today? It allows you to actually present yourself in a different way to not take on the weight of them. That is their own issues. And I think realizing that people have their own paralysis and ours is just super like Obvious. recognizable. I mean, anywhere we go, I can yeah. walk anywhere. They don't know who I am. If Nate's with me, they're like, oh, we know who you are because you're Nate's wife, you know? But I think that if we all had to wear our paralysis on the outside, like Nate has to, it would be a lot more noticeable. And I think showing up with sure. our best selves each day to say, you know what? Somebody's going to come up to me with their dis- disability, their different ability. And for us to not react the way maybe the normal person would helps really diffuse systems and emotions and allows us to love them at a different, different level or serve them better. better. I agree with that so much because I think we maybe have all heard a quote around the lines of treat everyone, you know, as if something really wrong is happening in their life at the moment. And the older I get, I'm like, man, the more that's true. And it makes me have empathy for, mental and emotional disabilities because you can't see those. Right. And not to say that physical is any better. It's just, you know, you're probably more likely to help somebody when you can see if there's something that you can do, but you can't often see something if it's just mental and emotional. Exactly. Let me, let me tell you something my wife did. So Heather's like mother Teresa, basically in our house. (laughs) Don't, don't send so me on that pedestal. She just is always, always the first one to give. The first one, someone falls down, she's the first one to be there to pick them up, um, whatever it is. And so it was five five years ago. I have no idea what you're going to say, and I'm very nervous about this. I think it was five years ago. I can't remember. Yeah, five years ago. So um, Heather came up in March of that year, five years ago. She decided... Our family, which we had four kids, we were blessed to be able to have two more kids um, after both neck breaks. Which is awesome because society always tells us, like, you have two kids, you don't ever have to have more. And we were just like, well, we want to have more. And so we are so grateful we were able to do that. So you may want to ask questions of how we have more kids, but that'll be a different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So we, uh, Heather came up and said, So we have four kids. The youngest was 10. The oldest, I think, was 17. And she said, we need to do something big to help others with mobility issues because it's something that we get. Like as a family, we understand what it's like to have someone in a wheelchair, what it's like to try and go up steep ramps or get on an airplane, um, in and out of vehicles, you know, going into a restaurant or, or a basketball game and trying to find a place to sit so you can see and all of that stuff. So Heather said, here's what we need to do, family. We're going to ride bikes 
from Bend, Oregon at start at the ski resort where I broke my neck. And we're going to ride bikes 1200 miles down to Los Angeles to Santa Monica pier. And we're going to raise wow. money to help provide wheelchairs for people in developing countries. And, uh, but we don't ride bikes. Like we aren't cyclists. We're not, we're not <laughs> so. athletic family, but we're not a cyclist family. So we had six in the family. We had three bikes and two of them had flats at the time. And I had a, I had a hand bike that we had purchased. I'd done a half triathlon before, but, uh, I didn't hardly ever ride it. And so three months later, no, four months later, because mm -hmm. Heather's never like, well, let's plan ahead that far. She's like, let's do it now. I'm like, this is a big deal. It's because if you think about things too much, you talk yourself out of it. So if you just do it right, you figure out how to do it, you get creative, mm -hmm. you get it done. So, so four months later, our family of six is riding along the California coastline like a little 10 year old out there riding a bike along the California coast, which is really sketchy uh, through the redwoods. I mean, it's beautiful, gorgeous areas, but super, super hard. hard. So we had to do as a family kind of relay style about 120 miles a day. And we did it in 12 days with taking one day for rest on Sunday. It wasn't just the day of the Sabbath. It was, we needed the rest. I think we were asleep on the pew. At the yeah. church. Yeah, we were in San <laughs> we Francisco so area, wow. just knocked out. But uh, wow. that was a huge endeavor. Like, to take your kids and go do something like that, um, it was hard, um, but so rewarding. I, like, our kids, though, the entire time did not complain. They did not argue. There was nothing. And I know it was because they were doing it for someone else. The entire time, like in our trailers, we had pictures all over of kids in Africa or Mexico or wherever, all over the world who needed wheelchairs. And it helped us really focus on the goal at hand, not just how tired our legs were or how so hard you, it was. So right now, you have two people, two of our kids are working for Empower right now, um, one in Houston and one in Florida. And they, they did this. And the things that they did on that bike ride, the ways that they had to push themselves physically and mentally and spiritually are making them better at what they do now later on in life. So we were able to raise though about $42,000 to, uh, that's awesome. So then we didn't want to just give it. We, we found a nonprofit that does, that gives out wheelchairs and we said, we'll give you this money, but we want to go on a trip and help deliver the wheelchair. We physically want to go do this because our kids worked hard. And they need to go see it. And uh, so we were able to do that. And we had a very small film crew that came with us on the bike ride and down to Mexico for our first wheelchair distribution. And uh, they made we made a little movie about it. And uh, um, it, it was it was fun. I mean, it's that you said that was five years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> so fast forward now. And I believe you guys said you've given out 3,000 wheelchairs to six different countries on three different continents, right? Yeah. We right. finally decided we wanted our own nonprofit because we wanted to control the money, you know, like where, where yeah, it was so going. we could take it to other countries and give it away. But we also can do local projects, you know, whether it's 
wherever in our own backyard in our you know local community state we've done a few other states here in the united states as well but just to be able to help people how we want with their mobility has been incredible so yeah it's called share the hope but what tipped it off how we started it because we did this whole bike ride we raised money we did all this but a month after we got home we were at a boise state football game and heather piggybacked me down to some seats and at halftime she was piggybacking i don't know she's pretty tough She's piggybacking me back up. We come around the corner to where my chair was, and it was gone. Someone had stolen my work. No. No way. Seriously. And that's so, what we were saying. Are you freaking kidding me? Who steals a wheelchair? There's probably some drunk college kids having fun, but never, we never mm. found it. Never guess that. But Heather, Heather's wow. carrying me. Now, now I'm getting really heavy because she can't set me down. And we put me on a little fold-out chair. And somebody has to be holding me or I'll just fall off. And uh, at that moment, I mean, the police are looking, everyone's searching, but I I had this kind of rejuvenated burning inside to just like, this is what it feels like. I've been in a wheelchair for years, like for 15 years. years. So yeah. to me, it's like, I'm used to it. I have mobility, but at that moment, I had nothing. Like if somebody wasn't holding me up, I couldn't go anywhere. And that it, it brought up all these memories. And I'm like, we need to give people more independence. We need to give them a chance to live the kind of life they want to live. And if you're stuck on a dirt floor in a corner room, and the only time you leave that house and if somebody carries you, we need to change that. And it's, it's sad in some countries, especially some African countries, if your child is born with a defect or maybe they get in, in an accident and um, they break their legs so bad that they can't walk or they can't contribute to your family anymore, some of them will actually take them out in the bush and leave them, their own children, or they'll sell them into slavery because they're no good to them anymore. And we've been able to see that as we give people chairs, then they can start to travel. They can go open their own shop. They can start making baskets and go back to school. And all of a sudden they become part of their community again. They have worked not just to themselves, but to the everyone around them. And we want to create that. But we it's want been, people to have worked. Brandon, it's been really cool to see how you take such a challenge or tragedy in your life. Like the biggest one we've ever had, you know, Nate breaking his neck once and twice but then you take that and you're like would that have been my life's trajectory if that wouldn't have happened to now go to all these countries and give all, all these wheelchairs and have the effect that we are having so the blessings that are coming from the tragedy it doesn't completely outweigh it because i don't think that's fair for me to say as i'm not the one who's paralyzed but the effect is incredible. Sure. The ripple effect of being able to take a challenge or a really bad place in your life and to do good with it has been able to affect thousands upon thousands of people's lives. It's, it's really rewarding. I think about that all the time. Whenever I hear of a story of somebody overcoming a really hard challenge and the resiliency and all that stuff, I always think, man, it's not my place to say if that really was ended up being a good thing or not in their life. But all I can say is I'm so grateful and inspired 
by the people that really do have those and they, you know, they choose to overcome everything and it just provides so much inspiration to the world. And so with you guys and it's both of you, it's your family, it's everybody. I'm so grateful for your example and your choice to overcome and push through so many things. And I'm sure there's other people that have broken their neck that have reached out to you guys to say, how did you do this? And, you know, and you've probably been put in a really cool position in this life to provide inspiration to so many people. We have, and, and something I learned, I was on a podcast about a year ago and somebody brought up, they said, man, Nathan, you've really, you've really taken the weak thing and made it strong. So in scripture, it's, you know, it said that the Lord will make weak things strong. And in life, you know, that's what we try and do. We're always taking the weak thing to make it better. And somebody said, wow, Nathan, you've done that. And I thought, no, I, I haven't. And it wasn't till then, it wasn't until a year ago that it triggered in my mind. I was like, my, my weakness is not my paralysis. That's my strength. Your weakness is not that you have cancer. It's not that you have, you're de you have depression. Um, it's not any of those things. That's your strength. Your weakness is when you choose not to do something great with it. When we come up with the excuses wow. and the justifications and we allow our fears to keep us from doing something better with that strength. We need to flip the way we look wow. at it. It's, it's not the, my paralysis is not my weakness. It is my strength, and what am I going to do with it? And if I don't, that's my weakness. And it doesn't mean just doing something yeah. for himself. It's always got to include others. How can you make other people's lives better? That's one of my biggest takeaways from talking with you guys is just service. And what a cool way to help you work through different things is you guys have just served and served and served and uh, that's so inspirational. I wanted to ask you a couple of things about the wheelchair specifically for those that would want to be part of this. Two questions I have on that is how much does one wheelchair cost the kind that you guys are making and giving back to people? Yeah. So a wheelchair costs $225. That's it. That is And that's what the raise shipping and inflation yeah. the last little bit. And so well, $225 is not just a wheelchair. That includes it being shipped to another country. Wow. Yeah. So it's the whole package. So in the second oh. question is in whether it's, I don't know if the global statistics vary a lot, but, but in the U.S. and other countries, do you guys have a number for what percentage of the population need wheelchairs or how many people in different countries are in need of wheelchairs? Yeah, it's estimated that 100 million people are in need of a chair. Wow. Which means we got to get to work. Totally. We only have 3,000 under our belt. We got to really get to work. <laughs> wow. We've also, there's a statistic, or not a statistic, but a study that is estimated that for every one wheelchair you give out, 10 lives are positively changed. It's just like in our family, because I have a chair, it means that Heather has more freedom. Sure. It means kids have more freedom. My neighbors, everyone around me. It impacts the whole family. And it's really cool, actually, a lot of the places we go, when we give them a chair, they just think, oh, I'm going to wheelchair. And then we sit there and we say, okay, now what are you going to go do? That doesn't mean you just now have somewhere to sit in your house. What business are you going to go start? 
And I mean, one little boy in Mexico, I had a whole bunch of bracelets. And I said, you're gonna take all these bracelets I'm giving you right now, and you're gonna go and you're gonna start selling them. And from those profits, you're gonna go buy more materials. And you're gonna keep doing that because now you are a contributing member of your family. And his eyes were just like the size of plates. I mean, they were just like, I don't have to just sit. Like somebody else believes in me and knows that I do have worth. I can be a contributor to society. And like, those are game changers for people. Like how sure. cool is that to be a game changer, to help believe in someone, to give them that positive energy they need to just go make a difference and change their lives. It's, it's really selfish what we do because the blessings that we see and how much we get to love on these people and feel of their genuine love for the service that we give is just and we, and we amazing. Take, we take people on these trips. There's always 20 to 30 people that, that come on these trips with us. So it's really, it's fun to see how their lives change as well. What are the six countries that you guys have gone to for this? We've gone to Costa Rica, Peru, Argentina, uh, Ghana, Africa, Mexico, Dominican and Dominican Republic. Awesome. What are the upcoming yeah. countries that you guys have in mind? The upcoming ones so far are um, Costa Rica, Mexico, Guatemala, Kenya, um, and maybe Thailand. Awesome. If so, somebody yeah. wants to be involved with the charity, where could they go to find out more about it? So we have a website, it's charethehope.org, and you can find a lot of information on there. Our contact information, phone numbers are on there as well. Um, we're also on social media, charethehope.org, um, tells almost all about our thing. We also started a really fun, um, Nate loves it, yeah. social media called Rollin' with the Auggies. And it is everything that's like <laughs> behind the scenes with the Auggies that People are like, these people will not do this with a wheelchair guy. And we're like, oh, yes, we will. So that's like a really fun way to follow us as well. Awesome. So. Is that on Instagram or Facebook or which Instagram ones? Instagram and TikTok. Okay, And then Share cool. the Hope has pages on Facebook and Instagram. I'm definitely going to look that up. Yes. <laughs> It'll give you some fun ideas. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on. I just want to say thanks for your energy. Your energy is so awesome. Thanks for your example of serving your contribution to the world. You guys have just made such a big impact. I definitely want to get involved in the charity and I really appreciate the example of just continuing to push through fear and excuses. And Nate, I loved what you said. I, th I thought it was so profound. It wasn't a one-time event. It's an everyday decision that you make. And so I'm just grateful for both of your and your ex family's examples on all those things. It's such an inspiration. Well, Thank you, Brandon. Thanks for having us on, man, and all the good you do. We we know that you guys are constantly, you guys are giving out, you're teaching your employees to give, and uh, that makes a big difference. 